That was so beautiful, John and Common. Wow. Joe Biden shares John Lewis's belief that every vote matters. Personally, I plan to follow the example of six current cabinet members, Vice President Poonce and President Trump himself, and vote by mail. To find out everything you need to know about mail-in ballots, your polling place, or even just am I registered, text VOTE to 30330. 30330. That would be the president's golf score if he didn't cheat. Okay, look, I'll admit that was a little nasty, but we all know he's a cheater. And I'm proud to be a nasty, nasty woman. You know, when Donald Trump spoke at his inauguration about American carnage, I assumed that was something he was against, not a campaign promise. What we need now is great leadership, someone experienced and hardworking and intelligent, someone who understands the soul of the American people. I'm historian John Meacham. In his final Sunday sermon, days before his death, Martin Luther King Jr. said, we are tied together in the single garment of destiny. This is the way God's universe is made. This is the way it is structured. A single garment of destiny. We the people cannot escape that reality. Nor, as Lincoln taught us, can you and I escape history. And we shouldn't want to, for many of us have been given much, liberty, opportunity, a sense of possibility. The task of our time is to make sure those gifts are available, not just to folks who look like me, but to all of us. This is a grave moment in America. A deadly virus is ravaging us. Our jobs are evaporating. Our faith in the things that bind us together is fraying, for our democracy is under assault from an incumbent more interested in himself than he is in the rest of us. Extremism, nativism, isolationism, and a lack of economic opportunity for working people are all preventing us from realizing our nation's promise. And so we must decide whether we will continue to be prisoners of the darkest of American forces, or will we free ourselves to write a brighter, better, nobler story? That's the issue of this election, a choice that goes straight to the nature of the soul of America. Humankind has long viewed the soul as the vital center, the core, the essence of existence. The soul is what makes us, us. In its finest hours, America's soul has been animated by the proposition that we are all created equal and by the imperative to ensure that we are treated equally. Yet America is a mix of light and shadow, Seneca Falls and Selma and Stonewall dwell in the American soul, but so do the impulses that have given us slavery, segregation, and systemic discrimination. Often, we'd prefer to hear the trumpets rather than face the tragedies. But an honest accounting of who we've been can enable us to see who we should be, a country driven by the best parts of our soul, not by the worst, a country informed by reason and candor, not by ego and lies. A country that's big-hearted, not narrow-minded. The struggle to be who we ought to be is difficult, demanding, and ongoing. Justice can be elusive, 
and change in America has been painful and provisional. The Civil War led to segregation, the New Deal to right-wing reaction, civil rights to white backlash. Yet history, which will surely be our judge, can also be our guide. From Harriet Tubman to Alice Paul to John Lewis, from the beaches of Normandy to the rending of the Iron Curtain, our story has soared when we've built bridges, not walls, when we've lent a hand, not when we've pointed fingers, when we've hoped, not feared. If we live in hope, we open our souls to the power of love. We've been taught to love our neighbors as ourselves. As individuals and as a nation, however, we fail at following that commandment more often than we succeed. But when we fail, we must try again and again and again, for only in trial is progress possible. From Jamestown forward, our story has become fuller and fairer because of people who share a conviction that Dr. King articulated on that Sunday half a century ago. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Bending that arc requires all of us. It requires we the people, and it requires a president of the United States with empathy, grace, a big heart, and an open mind. Until 1962, and that fundamental right is more important than ever. Whether your ancestors have been here for hundreds of years, or you're a new citizen, know this. Whether we vote and how we vote will determine if our nation's promise of social, racial, and environmental justice will outlast us. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris respect our past and understand our present. They will see us through this crisis of leadership that is plaguing our country, and they will help us to build a better future. Thank you. The first year that I voted was 1974. 1967. I have not missed a general or a primary election in my 51-year voting history. Now, I don't go to the polls anymore. The U.S. Postal Service does it for me. And now we're seeing our current president sabotage our right to vote, sabotaging democracy by trying to undo the postal system. My father worked for the Postal Service for 30 years. My mother worked for that local post office for 10 years. That job enabled her to feed her family. I am appalled at what the Republicans and the president are trying to do to subvert the vote. Nothing or no one will stop me from voting this election. We need to keep our mail system. We need Joe Biden. Where are they going? Where are these ballots going? Who's getting them? Who is not getting them? A little section that's Republican. Will they be stolen from mailboxes as they get put in by the mailman? Will they be taken from the mailmen and the mailwomen? Will they be forged? Who is signing them? Who's signing them? What, are they signed at a kitchen table and sent in? Will they be counterfeited by groups inside our nation? Will they be counterfeited 
maybe by the millions by foreign powers. Let me put this in my own words. I've heard Donald Trump say some pretty unhinged things. I've heard them over and over and over again. But nothing is more dangerous to our democracy than his attacks on mail-in voting during a pandemic. Okay, here's the truth. Donald Trump doesn't want any of us to vote because he knows he can't win fair and square. So whether you plan to vote by mail or in person wearing your mask, it is your vote and it's your right. Don't let Donald Trump take that away from you. For accurate, up-to-date voting information that you can trust, text VOTE to 30330. One more time, text VOTE to 30330. I'm Alex Padilla, California Secretary of State. And I'm Jocelyn Benson, the Secretary of State of Michigan. Voting is the oxygen of our democracy. It decides elections, and elections change lives. That's why we've seen so many attacks on our right to vote including many that specifically target working families, young people, and communities of color. Secretaries of state are responsible for running fair, accessible, secure elections where every vote is counted and every voice is heard. We serve on the front lines defending our democracy against any and all attacks, foreign and domestic. So let's talk about this election. Despite what he says, Donald Trump can't cancel it but he and Republicans are making it too hard for so many to cast their ballots. And now he's attacking vote by mail to distract and confuse voters. And let's be clear, there is absolutely zero difference between voting by mail and voting absentee. Millions of Americans have been voting absentee for decades. Donald Trump, his family, his staff, they all vote by mail. In fact, in states like Colorado, Utah, and Oregon, Voters have been voting by mail for years. Republicans and Democrats agree it is safe. But now Trump has admitted he's trying to sabotage the post office to undermine voting by mail. And we're not going to let him do that. Our job is to make sure everyone can vote safely, whether in person or by mail. And your job is to make sure you vote. And there's more. Once you've done that, talk to your friends and neighbors. Spread the word. Tell everyone you know to text VOTE to 30330 for more voting options. If you're planning to vote from home, request and return your ballot early and remind everyone you know to make a plan to vote. Don't let anyone keep you from exercising your most sacred right. Make your plan to vote. Grab your mask and head to the polls the first day they're open or request your ballot and send it in right away. And know this, election results may take a little longer this year, but Democrats will fight to make sure your ballot is counted. Because at the end of the day, the biggest role in preserving our democracy isn't ours, it's yours. Our family has a crazy history uh, with America and it all starts with um, it being a beacon for, for immigrants. It's really cool being like part Polish and part Puerto Rican and also part black because I get to, you know, for me personally, I get to be this like melting pot of America. If you were an immigrant back then, come from an immigrant family, the Democrats brought you in. We are in danger of losing the meaning of this country. Every generation before us has had to fight for what they believe in and it's just our turn now. I was so proud 
when I saw the uh, demonstrations that were going on across the country. This year's election means a lot to me because I feel like our generation is so motivated right now to make a difference. There's a lot of changes that we have to make, and I'm counting on Joe Biden, and I believe in him. I'm here because a union job lifted my family out of poverty and into the middle class. My grandfather left the Jim Crow South for Detroit, joined the UAW, and got a job on the assembly lines during World War II. That union job enabled him to support his family, raise my mom, and send her to Fisk University. That's the American dream. Together we work, together we rise. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris know the dignity of all working Americans. They know the urgency and the demand of our dream. But working people are under attack. The wealth gap grows, our middle class shrinks, and poverty persists. Last week, Donald Trump said, and I quote, our economy is doing good. While 40 million Americans are at risk of losing their homes, 30 million aren't getting enough to eat, and 5.4 million people have lost their health care because of this crisis. He has failed us. But still, I believe in the dream of our ancestors. Together with Joe and Kamala in the White House, we'll raise the minimum wage so no one who works a full-time job in America lives in poverty. Together, we'll fight for those who keep us healthy who keep us safe, who teach our children. We'll stand for those who cook and serve and clean, who plant and harvest, who pack, and always those who deliver, whose hands are thick with calluses, like my granddad's were, who lifted me high, who held mine when I was a boy. If he was alive, Joe and Kamala, he would be so proud of you. And he'd tell us, take another by the hand and another and let's get to work. This dream ain't free, you gotta work for it. So like his generation, up and out of the depression, let's now work together and stand together. And America, together, we will rise. This is my team. You guys hey, build America, right. not Wall Street. You just build America. That's right. The Americans just want to live meekly, comfortable. I've got a wife that works as well. We've got a 17 and a seven-year-old at home, and, and and we're still working. You know, thanks to our international executive board for getting with General Motors and making sure that it's safe for us to return back to work after eight weeks of being laid off. I mean, it, it's it's a hoax at one point, and now here we are, full blown. Yep. Well, I tell you what. The future of auto workers in America, and I really believe this, can be as bright as it was back in the, in, in, in the late 40s, 50s. Yes. Simple reason. It's an iconic industry. It's an American industry. We made it. We made it. Yes. Thank you. It's been a very interesting 2020. I've been in the fire service 16 years and never experienced anything like COVID. Uh, we had to change our whole tactics the way we did our day to day. And now at a hurricane that just came in two weeks ago 
and we were right almost right on the eye. And, I mean, we were doing things we never thought we'd be doing, uh, water rescues in, with masks on, having to worry about COVID. It, it, was, it was interesting. How's your family doing? Well, I'm a single dad. I have a almost five-year-old who's in my world. And I'm very lucky that my parents are retired. My mom actually retired right after my daughter was born to help us with her. And she was so looking forward to pre-K, going to the big school, like she says. And then unfortunately, all this COVID came in and now it's all going to be online schooling, which I'm fortunate. I have my parents, but I do have a lot of guys that are double-income families and they're just trying to figure out how they're going to do it with their kids. What, how, what arrangements are they going to have to make since they're not going to be going to school? It's going to be online. It's two people in my household. Um, I have a family of two and we have grown up kids that are no longer in the household. But it takes two people to build. And we have an ongoing goal of a, a five-year goal of buying a house in the next five years. So um, hopefully we'll save, save, save. Look, everybody, you talked about the middle class. The fact is that the way middle class people generate wealth overwhelmingly is building up equity in their home. And that's what gets passed on from one generation to the next, the equity in a home. You know, the middle class is continuously taking hits. And one of the reasons why we're on this call is we realize how important it is to have you in the White House. We, uh, we need a comprehensive energy policy for renewable resources, which I know you have one. And if we're going to build the middle class, it's about the jobs. The future really rests on investment. We're going to be investing $2 trillion in infrastructure, ports, bridges, highways, making sure that we have access to do things that really make a difference, like what you're doing that solar facility outside of Harrisburg. You know, I'm a Scranton boy. You know, central Pennsylvania is okay, but, you know, northeast. <laughs> Keep the faith, guys. I know it's not typical for a former Surgeon General to speak at a convention. Surgeons General are appointed by presidents, but our work isn't about politics. Our highest duty is to the public. Our true guide is science. And our job is to speak the truth about public health, even when it's controversial or perceived as political. So here's the truth. Our nation absolutely has what it takes to overcome the COVID-19 pandemic that's claimed tens of thousands of our loved ones. We have the talent, resources, and technology. What we're missing is leadership. We need a leader who works with states to ensure that everyone who needs a test gets one and gets results quickly. A leader who secures a safe, effective vaccine and distributes it quickly and fairly. A leader who inspires us to practice distancing and wear masks, not as a political statement, but as a patriotic duty, a commitment we make to one another. That's why I'm here tonight, not because of politics or for party, but because I know Joe Biden can be that leader. I've worked with Joe Biden. I've seen who he is with no cameras around how he sits with people in their pain and holds them in his heart, how he pours over COVID briefings, asking smart questions, letting science guide his way, just as he did when managing the Ebola crisis. And six years ago, when Joe Biden met my family, many of them immigrants, awed to be in the nation's capital, 
I saw how he kneeled beside my grandmother's wheelchair, took her hands in his, and said, Thank you for choosing us, the United States of America, as the place to trust with your family. Tonight, as a father, son, and grandson, as a doctor who swore an oath, and as an American who loves my country, I can tell you that Joe Biden is the man I trust to look out for my family, and the leader I know will heal this nation. Hi, I'm Senator Tammy Baldwin. When I was nine years old, I got sick, really sick. I was hospitalized, but since my grandparents were the ones raising me and our family's health plan didn't cover grandkids, they were forced to pay out of pocket for my three-month hospital stay. I got better, but the insurance companies didn't. They refused to cover me at any cost because I was marked child with a pre-existing condition. We all have stories like this, stories about a time when the system was rigged against us, when we were counted out, left out, pushed out. Just think of what we've heard these past four days. Healthcare professionals who don't have the protective gear they need, young people whose asthma will get worse as our air quality does, workers who are afraid of losing their jobs. Each story begs this simple, fundamental question, a question that gets to the heart of the choice in this election. What kind of country do we want to be? Do we want to be a country where millionaires get to dodge taxes or one where working families get a break? Do we want to be a country where medical bills bury people in debt or one where health care is affordable for all? or where tens of thousands of people die from a virus, or where the American dream lives? I think we know the answer to that fundamental question because most of us want the same things. Good schools in our neighborhoods, racial justice, the freedom to love who we want, dignity in our work, and an economy where small businesses and working families thrive. And over the past months, we've added another to that list, a nation free from COVID. That's why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the only answer in this election. Trust me, they are. You see, there's another part of my story, the part where I ran for office, the part where I served in Congress, the part where I worked with Joe Biden and Barack Obama to make sure kids and grandkids, if they're dependents, can stay on their parents' health insurance until they're 26. We got that done. And yes, it was a big effing deal. That's the America I know. That's the America I love. And that's the America we will be with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House. A nation that plans. A nation that builds. A nation that builds back. Say it with me there at home, a nation that builds back better. Here in Wisconsin, our state motto is just one word, forward. This November, let's move forward and never look back. Thank you. No other nation. No other nation.
generation can match us if we step up. We lead by the power of our example, not by the example of our power. The only thing that can tear America apart is America itself, and we cannot let that happen. If you want to help Joe and Kamala make sure that America stays strong and united, please go to JoeBiden.com and contribute anything that you possibly can. Tonight, I couldn't be prouder to be a loyal union member, a passionate climate activist, and a patriotic Democrat, or as Donald Trump will call me in a tweet tomorrow, a washed up horse face, no talent has been with low ratings. Well, with all due respect, sir, it takes one to know one. And now I'd like to introduce you to a real American hero, World War II veteran, Ed Good. I am Edward Good. I'm 95 years old. I'm a veteran of World War II and of Korea. When I wear a uniform, I wear only two badges, my parachute wings and the combat infantry badge. I did make one combat jump over the Rhine in Germany, and I'm proud of that. I have been a Republican since the 1960s. I'm a member of the NRA, and uh, I voted for Trump. I think Trump has, has been the, the worst president we've ever had, so I'll be glad to see him go. I think Joe Biden will be a great leader for the United States. Like me, on the day of my jump into Germany, I think Joe Biden cares about doing his proper duty for the United States. And if he's elected, that's what he will do. This year's election is very important. Probably be the most important election we've had in years. I recommend strongly, based on the division in this country created by our current president, Donald Trump, we need to put somebody else in the White House that's going to bring us together. Now, let me just explain something. I've been a long-standing Republican for a long time, and I'm telling you, you got to vote for Joe Biden. You have to. I don't think we can deal with the type of person we have in the White House any longer. So it's up to you, America, and me, because in this election, I'm voting for Joe. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure he's going to help us bring this country together once again. My name is Lakeisha Cole. I met my husband 20 years ago when we started dating while I was in college. Once I graduated from college, we eloped. Two weeks after that, he deployed. This is what I wanted to do. You know, you love this country. Are you willing to do the hard work it takes to maintain it? What was supposed to be a six-month deployment actually turned into 11 months. There was nothing really to prepare me as a new military spouse on how to deal with the stress. When people get married, they expect to grow old with each other. With multiple combat tours, there's no guarantee of any of those things. They're just a, a long laundry list of uncertainties that we have to juggle. You know, Joe has always cared about military families. They've been through so much. When I went to Iraq, 
And one of the generals said, you know, I want to share this story with you. In his daughter's class, it was a Christmas program, and they were playing the Ave Maria. And one of the little girls burst into tears. And the teacher ran over and said, what's the matter? What's the matter? And she said, that's the song they played at my daddy's funeral. He died in the war. The teacher had no idea that that little girl's father had fought in the war and had died. And that night I said to my staff, I'm a teacher. We can do better. We've got to do better to help our military kids. The Bidens have a track record of helping military families, and we've seen it with the work that they've done with joining forces and how they were able to, you know, rally a country behind us. Men and women, we send to war to defend our nation, care for them and their families while they're gone, and care for them and their families when they come home. It was the very first time that I, as a military spouse, felt like someone was listening to us and someone cared. It's not just the service member who serves, the entire family serves as well. Joe said we have one sacred obligation, to take care of our military members. During this pandemic, for sure, so many veterans have lost their jobs. So many military spouses have lost their jobs. That's one of the things that will be a priority in a Biden administration. We will make sure that all Americans have health care, employment, the things that families need to thrive. When people show you who they are, believe them the first time, and we know exactly who Joe is. He is the best candidate for America, not just for our families, but for all families. Good evening, I'm Tammy Duckworth. When I first enlisted in the Army, I was eager to serve my country, yet anxious whether I'd be able to earn my way into the ranks. But I earned my wings and later commanded my own air assault unit, learning that serving and leading in the military is both a privilege and a sacrifice. To be a commander, you must always put your troops first, because one day you may order them to sacrifice everything for our great nation. To do that, Leaders must command their troops' respect and be worthy of their pledge to protect and defend our Constitution, no matter the cost. But military service doesn't just take sacrifice from those in uniform. It's required from their families, too. My husband, Brian, was the one who rushed to Walter Reed after I was wounded in Iraq. He was the one holding my hand, waiting for me to wake up. And when I finally did, he was my rock, getting me through those hours, weeks, months of unspeakable pain and unending surgeries. He was my anchor as I relearned to walk, helping me through every step and every stumble. Our military spouses hold their families together, praying for their loved ones' safety wherever they're deployed and serving as caregivers to our disabled service members, and then picking up the pieces and starting again whenever the next tour or the next war arises. Joe Biden understands these sacrifices because he's made them himself. When his son Bo deployed to Iraq, his burden was also shouldered by his family. Joe knows the fear military families live because he's felt that dread of never knowing if your deployed loved one is safe. He understands their bravery because he has had to muster that same strength 
every hour of every day Bo was overseas. That's the kind of leader our service members deserve. One who understands the risks they face and who would actually protect them by doing his job as commander-in-chief. Instead, they have a coward-in-chief who won't stand up to Vladimir Putin, read his daily intelligence briefings, or even publicly admonish adversaries for reportedly putting bounties on our troops' heads. As president, Joe Biden would never let tyrants manipulate him like a puppet. He would never pervert our military to stroke his own ego. He would never turn his back on our troops or threaten them against Americans peacefully exercising their constitutional rights. Joe Biden would stand up for what's right, stand tall for our troops, and stand strong against our enemies. Because unlike Trump, Joe Biden has common decency. He has common sense. He can command both from experience and from strength. Donald Trump doesn't deserve to call himself commander-in-chief for another four minutes, let alone another four years. Our troops deserve better. Our country deserves better. If you agree, text more to 30330 to elect Joe Biden, a leader who actually cares enough about America to lead. Good evening. I'm Bo Biden, and Joe Biden is my dad. Some voices are never silenced. Some work never ceases to change lives. Some people never stop inspiring, even after they're gone. Bo Biden was a husband, father, brother, son, soldier, attorney general. He was given just 46 years on this earth. He did in 46 years what most of us couldn't do in 146. Think about the day that dawns for children who are safer because of Bo whose lives are fuller because of him. Think about the day that dawns for parents who rest easier and families who are freer because of him. Some folks may never know that their lives are better because of Bo Biden, but that's okay. Certainly for Bo, acclaim was never the point of public service. If you knew Bo, you knew he lived by the strictest code of honor, duty, service, country. You never had to ask if he would do something the right way. He didn't know any other way. Bo didn't cut corners. He turned down an appointment to be Delaware's attorney general so he could win it fair and square. When the field was clear for him to run for the Senate, he chose to finish his job as AG instead. After 9-11, he joined the National Guard. He felt it was his obligation. He did his duty to his country deployed to Iraq. Bo Biden served his country in battle. He prosecuted one of the worst child predators in American history. And even though he is no longer with us, every day he still inspires the next president of the United States. It won't be possible for me to be here this fall. So I have something to ask of you. Be there for my dad, like he was for me. A couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer, and I was absolutely terrified. One of the first people who called me was Joe. His real warmth and kindness on that call, man, I got to say, it made me cry. 
Our current president has made me cry too, but it's never had anything to do with his warmth or kindness. Joe Biden's empathy is genuine. You can feel it. That's why President Obama asked Joe to head up the cancer moonshot. President Obama knows what we all know. Joe Biden understands suffering and loss and sacrifice. Mayor Pete Buttigieg also knows something about sacrifice. He volunteered and was deployed to Afghanistan, then returned home to Indiana to become a highly effective public servant. Say hi to Mayor Pete. Good evening. Bo Biden lived a life of service in office and in uniform. When you put your life on the line for this country, you do it not because it's the country you live in, but because it's a country you believe in. I believe in this country because America uniquely holds the promise of a place where everyone can belong. We know that for too many and for too long, that promise has been denied. But we also know America is at its best when we make that circle of belonging wider. Just over 10 years ago, I joined a military where firing me because of who I am wasn't just possible, it was policy. Now, in 2020, it is unlawful in America to fire someone because of who they are or who they love. The very ring on my finger, a wedding we celebrated, here where I'm standing, reflects how this country can change. Love makes my marriage real. But political courage made it possible, including that of Joe Biden, who stepped out ahead even of this party when he said that marriage equality ought to be the law of the land. There is a long way to go. But if this much can change between 2010 and 2020, imagine what could change between now and 2030. Imagine what we could achieve, this coalition we are building this very season, gathering progressives and moderates, independents, and even what I like to call future former Republicans, standing for an America where everyone belongs. Joe Biden is right. This is a contest for the soul of the nation. And to me, that contest is not between good Americans and evil Americans. It's the struggle to call out what is good in every American. It's up to us. Will America be a place where faith is about healing and not exclusion? Can we become a country that lives up to the truth that black lives matter? Will we handle questions of science and medicine by turning to scientists and doctors? Will we see to it that no one who works full time can live in poverty? I trust Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to guide us toward that better future because I've seen up close their empathy and their capacity. Just as I've seen my fellow Americans capacity to support and include one another in new ways and do better by the promise of America. The day I was born, the idea of an out candidate seeking any federal office at all was laughable. Yet earlier this year, I campaigned for the presidency, often with my husband Chaston at my side, winning delegates to this very convention. 
Now I come to this convention proudly supporting Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, joining fellow Democrats who were squaring off in competition just a few months ago. A number of us recently got together to talk about the Joe we know. Hi, I'm Cory Booker. Welcome to everybody at home. I am very excited to present to you a group of people that ran in the 2020 Democratic primary against Joe Biden. You could think of this sort of like survivor on the out interviews of all the people that got voted off the island. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie, Bernie, don't you laugh because I got questions for you. Like, why does my girlfriend like you more than she likes me? But let's, because let's move she's on. smarter than you, and that's the obvious answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I'm curious because uh, Senator Sanders and Senator Klobuchar, you actually served with uh, Joe Biden in the Senate. I'm wondering if you have any memories of what he was like as a colleague in the Senate. Well, I remember one uh, night when I was giving one of those floor speeches, and Corey, you know what this is like. No one was there. No one was watching. I was all alone, and I gave my speech, which much bigger, uh, to a completely empty chamber. And I walked out of there, and I thought, I wonder if my mom was even watching this on C-SPAN. <laughs> and at that moment, the cell phone rings, and I actually thought maybe my mom was watching it on C-SPAN. <laughs> and you know who it was? It was Joe Biden. And that kind of goes to not only his kindness for calling me and being a mentor, but it also goes to how much he cares about our government and what people are saying. And that even when he's at home at night, he's watching and he cares. But Amy, we all want to know, did your mother watch the speech? I know. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the steak fry when, when we were waiting to go on? It worked out to where I was there the same time he was. And he pulled me aside at one point and he pointed to somebody who we both knew who was working on my campaign, uh, but he'd known from before. And let me know that that, that was somebody who'd gone through a, a family tragedy that, that Joe somehow knew about. And just thought it was important for me to know that uh, about uh, someone who was working with me. And I, I thought, you know, over time, I realized that, that it's just uh, basic to who he is, but that always stuck with me. Elizabeth, do you have any uh, remembrances as well? I think the day I saw Joe the clearest was on the one year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. And everyone, of course, was enormously honored to have the vice president here. But at some point in that speech, he shifted to the parent who had lost a child, to the man who had lost a wife, to someone who had experienced loss very personally. And he spoke to each of the families from the heart. That's phenomenal. I want to ask, uh, what gets you excited about uh, this idea of the inclusion of big ideas uh, from all over the, the party uh, into the future, into the next administration? The, the magic of Joe Biden is that everything he does becomes the new reasonable. If he comes with an ambitious <laughs> plan to address climate change, all of a sudden, everyone's going to follow his lead. You can see it with him choosing Kamala, too. He wants to build the best team. Let's do it together. That's how we're going to rebuild this country. Corey, I'm, I'm so optimistic about our country right now, despite some very dark days for a lot of our fellow Americans, in large part because of what young people are doing right now. Uh, after the murder of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, young people, by and large, led these protests. And they did so 
in the absolute best traditions of this country, in the tradition of John Lewis. My, my optimism and, and my faith in this country is reflected in, in those young people and the way that Joe and Kamala are listening to them and incorporating their ideas and their urgency into the campaign that they're running and the administration that they're going to lead. And I also think some people who say they don't know if they're going to vote or, vote or not uh, are saying that from a point of privilege that a lot of Americans don't have. There are so many things for lots of folks who live life on the margins that this election is going to decide. And maybe it's not a life or death issue for you, uh, but we are all in this together. Absolutely. Corey, what I would say is that uh, this is clearly the most important election in the modern history of this country. And Joe Biden, you have a human being who is empathetic, who is honest, who is decent. And at this particular moment in American history, my God, that is something that this country absolutely needs. And all of us, whether you're progressives, whether you're moderates or conservatives, have got to come together to defeat this president. Thanks for that, Bernie. I want to thank you all for joining us for this segment. I mean this sincerely. It was an honor to run against you. And it is even a greater honor to stand with you in support of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Good evening. I've never been much for partisan politics. I've supported Democrats, Republicans, and independents. Hell, I've actually been a Democrat, Republican, and independent. All about people. And the two people running for president couldn't be more different. One believes in facts, one does not. One listens to experts, the other thinks he knows everything. One looks forward and sees strength in America's diversity. The other looks backwards and sees immigrants as enemies and white supremacists as allies. Here's another difference. One has proven he knows how to handle a crisis by helping to lead the economic turnaround after the 2008 recession, while the other has not only failed to lead, he has made the current crisis much worse. When confronted with the biggest calamity any president has faced in the modern era, Donald Trump spent the year downplaying the threat, ignoring science, and recommending quack cures which let COVID-19 spread much faster than it should have, leaving hundreds of thousands needlessly sick or dead. He has failed the American people catastrophically. Four years ago, I came before this very convention and said, New Yorkers know a con when we see one. But tonight, I'm not asking you to vote against Donald Trump because he's a bad guy. I'm urging you to vote against him because he's done a bad job. Today, unemployment is at historic highs, and small businesses are struggling just to survive. It didn't have to be this way. Before I ran for mayor, I spent 20 years running a business I started from scratch. So I want to ask small business owners and their employees one question, and it's a question for everyone. Would you rehire or work for someone who ran your business into the ground? and who always does what's best for him or her, even when it hurts the company, and whose reckless decisions put you in danger, and who spends more time tweeting than working? If the answer is no, why the hell would we ever rehire Donald Trump for another four years? Trump says we should vote for him because he's a great businessman. Really? 
He drove his companies into bankruptcy six times, always leaving behind customers and contractors who had cheated and swindled and stopped doing business with him. Well, this time, all of us are paying the price, and we can't let him get away with it again. Donald says we should vote for him because the economy was great before the virus. Huh? Biden and Obama created more jobs over their last three years than the Trump administration did over their first three. And economic growth was higher under Biden and Obama than under Trump. In fact, while Biden helped save one million auto industry jobs, Trump has lost 250,000 manufacturing jobs. So when Trump says he wants to make America great again, he's making a pretty good case for Joe Biden. Look, our goal shouldn't be to bring back the pandemic economy. It should be, as Joe says, to build it back better. Joe's economic plan will create clean energy jobs that help fight another crisis that Trump is ignoring, climate change. And Joe will rebuild our crumbling roads and bridges, something Trump has incessantly talked about doing. But in the last three, three and a half years, he hasn't done anything. What a joke. And let me tell you a little secret. Donald Trump's economic plan was to give a huge tax cut to guys like me who didn't need it and then lie about it to everyone else. Well, Joe will roll back that tax cut that I got so we can fund things our whole country needs, like training for adults who have lost jobs and making college more affordable and investing in American research and development so that the products of tomorrow are made today by American workers. You know, growing up, I was taught to believe that America is the greatest country in the world, not because we won the Second World War, but because of why we fought it for freedom, democracy, and equality. My favorite childhood book was called Johnny Tremaine, about a Boston boy who joins the Sons of Liberty at the dawn of the American Revolution. At the end of the book, Johnny stands on Lexington Commons and sees a nation that is, quote, green with spring, dreaming of the future. That's the America I know and love. And that's the America we are in danger of losing under this president. So let's put an end to this whole sorry chapter in American history and elect leaders who will bring integrity and stability, sanity and competence back to the White House. Joe and Kamala, go get them for all of us. We can help you find the best and safest way to vote in your state. Simply text VOTE to 30330 to learn more. 30330, it's actually not that hard to remember. Watch. Person, woman, man, camera, TV, 30330. Anyone can do it. I want to introduce you now to a young man who Vice President Biden met earlier this year in New Hampshire and helped to find his voice. Say hello to Braden Harrington. Hi, my name is Braden Harrington and I'm 13 years old. And without Joe Biden, I wouldn't be talking to you today. About a few months ago, I met him in New Hampshire. He told me that we were members of the same club. We, we stutter. It was really amazing to hear that someone like me became vice 
president. He told me about a book of poems by Yeats he would read out loud to practice. He showed me how he marks his addresses to make them easier to say out loud. So I did the same thing today. And now I'm here talking to you today. about the future, about our future. My family often says when the world feels better before, before talking about something normal, like going to the movies. We all want the world to feel better. We need the world to feel better. I'm just a regular kid. And in a short amount of time, Joe Biden made me more confident about something that's bothered me my whole life. Joe Biden cared. Imagine what he could do for all of us. Kids like me are counting on you to elect someone we can all look up to. Someone who cares. Someone who will make our country and the world feel better. We're counting on you to elect Joe Biden. The first time I met Joe, I was really new at my synagogue, and I had to do a funeral service and a shiva, and towards the end of the service, the door opens up, and this person who was much younger than these octogenarians who were there walked in the room. It was our U.S. Senator, Joe Biden. He was just very respectful, and he stayed in the back, and his head was bowed in reverence. And at the end, I, I said, Senator Biden, like, why are you here? Because how does a nice Irish Catholic boy know from Shiva? And what he said was just so lovely. He said, this dear lady gave $18 to my campaign from the very first time I started in 1972. So he wanted to show his respects by saying thank you. And that just blew me away. You guys might have thought we were smaller. Yeah. <laughs> Granddaughter interview, take one. No, no, this is good. So, what do I know about your grandfather? Um, he's always eating ice cream. Usually, it's like Probably vanilla, vanilla with chocolate sprinkles. With chocolate sprinkles. Vanilla on a regular night. No, no, I'm chocolate but, chip. No, yeah, chocolate but, and. The briars that have half chocolate, half vanilla. He likes ice cream in hidden ways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eating Rather it like than... in the freezer yeah. so that like, my grandma doesn't the freezer. see. He like yeah. hides it. How often does he call you? Like every day. Yeah, every day. Like if we don't talk to him for like a day, he'll it's... ask what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. he'll yeah. think we're like, not a lot. He always calls with the same energy, even after he's just done 15 interviews in a row. Hi, Pop. I was just talking about you. I don't necessarily pick up every day, but I have a lot of voicemails. He will pick up our calls no matter where he is. He'd be like on stage giving a speech and we'd call him and he'd be like, what's wrong? Is everything good? <laughs> be like, just no, going to check in. Yeah. <laughs> what does the word family mean to you? It's a lot of time together. It's like, yeah, I don't we've, really know we've grown up together. He's made sure that every single tradition, every holiday, we're all together. I don't think that there's been any decision, no matter how big or small, yeah. that we haven't decided as a family. Pop.
Pop told us that this election would be totally different from any other election ever. He was worried how it would affect his kids. Whether or not we wanted to go through another campaign and be scrutinized by the press. There had been talks of a big meeting coming. It's normally called by the parents, I would say, but this time it was called by me. I came down from Penn and Maisie came up from DC and my cousins lived down the road. He thought we were calling a meeting sort of to like discuss, you know, whether or not we wanted him to, but really we were calling it to be like, get in that race, hurry up. We just knew that he had to run and we weren't gonna take no as an answer. At the end of the day, I think we're all very happy we had that meeting. All right, well, when you get back there, give me a call to tell me how the whole thing went, okay? Okay, I will. I love you, baby. I love you, too. We want to ensure that our kids live in a nation that is safe, happy, healthy, and fair. And so this election... We're voting for Joe Biden. Let's have a conversation with these kids. Let's do it. So let's jump right in, shall we? What does jump in mean? Mommy, I can't be quiet. Why? I don't want you to be quiet. You deserve to speak and say whatever it is that comes to your mind in this moment right now. Every election is important. This upcoming election is especially important. One, because the social injustices right now, racial inequality, but also because we have children. Excuse me, Mommy. Yes. I need to go to the bathroom. Okay. You want to go right now? Do you know where the president lives? In the White House, Washington, D.C. Do you know what the president's job is? To tell what happened to the world. That's good. That's a good one. Keep the environment safe. That is correct. As we say, that is correct. If you could create the ideal person to lead this country, what characteristics would that person have? A very kind personality. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see taken care of? I would like to see them taking care of the earth and the people. So, girls, it is 2020 and the election is coming up in November. Do you know who is running for president? Joe Biden. Yeah. And... Exactly. That's it. This video is over. What would you say if you knew that Joe Biden was going to have a woman as his vice president? Surprised and, like, happy. Why? There's, like, not a lot of, like, women how like... Being president and helping alongside the president. Mm -hmm. How important do you think your faith is in the way that you live your life? Really big. Because I'm grateful for all the things that I have Mm -hmm. and that I love my family. And with that said, everyone, we really thank you, one, for listening to this very candid conversation with our daughters. And we just want to encourage you to truly do your research, think about your own homes and what you'd like to see projected out into the world in the right direction is making sure that you vote this election for Biden. Whatever you do, please vote.
Every vote counts. Just remember that. <laughs> you gonna dance out? Here's the big question. How much of your time and energy are you willing to devote to elect Joe Biden? Here's my answer. I'm going all in. Look, elections can break your heart, but sometimes they can make you sing from the mountaintops. And this year, we're going to sing. This year, we're going to elect a president who's honest, experienced, and intelligent. A president who actually believes in the rule of law, who will restore dignity and normalcy to the White House and the soul of this nation. And boy, won't that be something. One of my favorite things Joe Biden says is that you can succeed in life without sacrificing your ideals or your commitment to family. So who better to introduce our nominee, Joe Biden, than his children? I'm Hunter Biden. And I'm Ashley Biden. Joe Biden is our dad. And Bo is our brother. We want to tell you what kind of president our dad will be. He will be tough. And honest. Caring and principled. He'll listen. He'll be there when you need him. He'll tell you the truth, even when you don't want to hear it. He'll never let you down. He'll be rock steady. The strongest shoulder you can ever lean on. He'll beam with pride every time you succeed. He'll make your grandkids feel that what they've got to say matters. He'll treat everyone with respect, no matter who you are. He'll get up no matter how many times he's been knocked down. He'll be the worst enemy any bully ever saw. He'll be the best friend you've ever had. He'll love you with all of his heart. And if you give him your cell phone number. He's going to call it. How do we know? Because he's been that way our whole lives. He's been a great father. And we think he'll be a great president. Bo isn't with us any longer. But he is still very much alive in our hearts and we can still hear his strong voice. Just like it was yesterday. Just like it was yesterday. In 2008 and 2012, he introduced our dad at those conventions. And if he was here, we're pretty sure we'd know what he'd say. So before we show you a film about our dad's journey, we wanted to give Bo the last word. Bo? Bo, take it away. In moments both public and private, He's the father I've always known, the grandfather my children love and adore, my father, my hero, Joe Biden. Our lives have been turned upside down, shattered and shaken. But the American story has had moments like this before. And he was there, answering the call. When we came into office in 2009, we were going through what was then the worst financial and economic crisis since the Great Depression. The economy was hemorrhaging hundreds of thousands of jobs a week. People were losing their homes to foreclosure. 
The financial system was in tatters. Auto sales had dropped to near zero levels. The auto companies faced bankruptcy. And many said, let them fail. But Joe remembered his father and what it meant to lose a job. The Finnegans and Bidens were Irish Catholic. Joe was their first. And then his sister Valerie. From the moment I opened my eyes, my big brother was there. The thing that was most important was family and family and family. As the post-war boom faded, Joe's father struggled to find work in Scranton. But 140 miles south, there was a job cleaning boilers in Wilmington. There was a long stairway up to the second floor. Dad went up to Joey in our bedroom and saying, Joey, you gotta be a big boy. For the first time, Joe saw the heavy burden on a father. And it was a lesson he would never forget. The job is a lot more than a paycheck. It's about dignity. The country was losing tens of thousands of jobs a day. And they needed three votes to pass the economic rescue package. Joe Biden was handled the task of going to get those three Republican votes. Joe returned to the place where he had been so effective. Passionate argument, sympathetic listening. A uh, willingness to make adjustments and accommodations to bring people on board. When the law finally passed, the president tapped his partner to run the program. Joe tracked every dollar, calling mayors and governors. Talking to them on the phone, one-on-one. -on -one. He gave all of them his cell phone. And I watched him bring his heart to that job. It matters that you have in your mind the family that you're trying to reach, the neighborhood that you're trying to reach, the people whose lives are affected by what you do. The skills that had made him so effective had not come easy. When he entered school, there was a problem. Joe had a stutter. And it's mortifying. It allows that child to become an object of ridicule. When his teacher mimicked him and Joe ran home from school, his mother drove him back. Did you say to my son, Mr. B -B Biden, the nun said, I was just trying to make a point. My mother stood up, all five foot two of her. If you ever talk to my son like that again, I'll come back and rip that damn bonnet off your head. Do you understand me? Joey, go back to class. Joe resolved to overcome his stutter. Some letters are harder than others. And I used to get up at night and go stand in front of the mirror with a flashlight and practice. She'd make me look her in the eye, look at me. Remember, Joey, you're the smartest boy in that class. Nobody's better than you, Joey. From having to deal with stuttering, it gave me insight into other people's pain, other people's suffering. At 19, Joe sought out a summer job that few of his peers considered taking. He was a lifeguard along with the black lifeguards. That's when I first seen Joe, and we became friends. It was one of the best things I've ever done because it gave me a sense that we really didn't know one another. 
after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, riots broke out in Wilmington and the National Guard stayed for almost a year. I quit the law firm and asked for a job to become a public defender. That's what sort of got me involved in politics. J. Caleb Boggs was a popular war hero in a solidly Republican state, and few took Joe's campaign seriously. In Delaware, the Democratic Party was non-functional. When it got time to put up a candidate, they didn't want to touch it. This young upstart, Joe Biden, who had a lot of ideas and no money, no influence, the party said, okay, well then go ahead, Biden, give it a whirl. That's all I can ask. Just look at you. Like what you see, help me out. If not, vote for the other You know, we'd have a coffee and we'd come out of that, we'd have five more coffees. He was very articulate on the issues. He, he brought people to say, not just that, well, I agree with what you're doing, is, you know, what can I do to help? Delaware is uh, the first state. J. Caleb Boggs, who is the incumbent Republican, being challenged by Joseph Biden. Biden is a Democrat who's 29 years of age. But exhilaration soon turned to tragedy. I mean, it was clear he had decided that I'm not going to be a senator, that the boys need me too much. I was prepared to walk away in 1973. But men like Ted Kennedy and Mike Mansfield and Hubert Humphrey and Fritz Hollings, Danny and Owen. They convinced me to stay. Just stay six months, Joe. Remember, Danny? Just stay six months. He couldn't allow the suffering to debilitate him. That's like he couldn't allow the stuttering to define him. That's the backbone. There's something bigger than Joe's suffering. The Senate turned out to be a wonderful place for him. He had a real gift for bringing people together. The three of them had a bond that was forged in sorrow and expanded into joy when Jill entered. They had built this beautiful family, this circle of trust. And then the extra gift of Ashley. Growing up, it was full of adventure, laughter. We do everything as a family, and we've always done everything as a family. He was always a good, loving father. I mean, there's nothing more important to Joe than his children. It's hard to explain how ever-present he was in our lives. You don't have to guess what my dad believes. A great benefit of being my father is that he doesn't have to contort himself into different people at different times. Well, he was going to do fine things. I mean, he had it all, and then he got sick. The whole world tilted, and it felt like we were all falling off. Once again, Joe faced the unimaginable. My mother, she said, bravery resides in every heart. And someday, it will be summoned. The way he survived losing my mom and my sister, and then losing my brother, is understanding that, that you have to have purpose. Every day I get up, I ask myself, 
I hope he's proud of me because that's that makes me move on. From his time in the Senate and then the White House, Joe always found a way forward, forging unlikely friendships and alliances. And time after time, he made progress possible and always holding in his heart the struggles of his family and every family, always fighting to make his country whole. It's a very rare quality to bring your empathy skills to the process of governing. Joe Biden never forgets that that's the point of moving the wheels of government. He will keep his word. He will reach out and hear what other people have to say. To have somebody who believes in what's best in us, somebody like Joe Biden who actually believes in the American idea, that's the kind of person who uh, I want in the White House. Good evening. Ella Baker, a giant of the civil rights movement, left us with this wisdom. Give people light and they will find the way. Give people light. Those are words for our time. The current president has cloaked American darkness for much too long. Too much anger, too much fear, too much division. Here and now, I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together. And make no mistake, united we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. We'll choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. I'm a proud Democrat, and I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility, I accept this nomination for President of the United States of America. But while I'll be a Democratic candidate, I will be an American president. I'll work hard for those who didn't support me, as hard for them as I did for those who did vote for me. That's the job of a president, to represent all of us, not just our base or our party. This is not a partisan moment. This must be an American moment. It's a moment that calls for hope and light and love, hope for our future light to see our way forward, and love for one another. America isn't just a collection of clashing interests of red states or blue states. We're so much bigger than that. We're so much better than that. You know, nearly a century ago, Franklin Roosevelt pledged a new deal in a time of massive unemployment, uncertainty, and fear. Stricken by a disease, stricken by a virus, FDR insisted that he would recover and prevail, and he believed America could as well. And he did, and we can as well. This campaign isn't just about winning votes. It's about winning the heart and, yes, the soul of America. Winning it for the generous among us, not the selfish. Winning it for workers who keep this country going, not just the privileged few at the top. Winning it for those communities 
who have known the injustice of a knee on the neck. For all the young people who have known only America being rising inequity and shrinking opportunity, they deserve the experience of America's promise. They deserve to experience it in full. You know, no generation ever knows what history will ask of it. All we can ever know is whether we're ready when that moment arrives. And now history has delivered us to one of the most difficult moments America has ever faced. Four, four historic crises, all at the same time. A perfect storm, the worst pandemic in over 100 years, the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression, the most compelling call for racial justice since the 60s, and the undeniable realities and just the accelerating threats of climate change. So the question for us is simple. Are we ready? I believe we are. We must be. You know, all elections are important. We know in our bones this one is more consequential. As many have said, America is at an inflection point, a time of real peril, but also of extraordinary possibilities. We can choose a path of becoming angrier, less hopeful, more divided, a path of shadow and suspicion, or, or we can choose a different path and together take this chance to heal, to reform, to unite a path of hope and light. This is a life-changing election. This will determine what America is going to look like for a long, long time. Character is on the ballot. Compassion is on the ballot. Decency, science, democracy, they're all on the ballot. Who we are as a nation, what we stand for, and most importantly, who we want to be, that's all on the ballot. And the choice could not be more clear. No rhetoric is needed. Just judge this president on the facts. Five million Americans infected by COVID-19. More than 170,000 Americans have died. By far the worst performance of any nation on earth. More than 50 million people have filed for unemployment this year. More than 10 million people are going to lose their health insurance this year. Nearly one in six small businesses have closed this year. And this president, if he's reelected, you know what will happen. Cases and deaths will remain far too high. More mom and pop businesses will close their doors, and this time for good. Working families will struggle to get by. And yet the wealthiest 1% will get tens of billions of dollars in new tax breaks. And the assault on the Affordable Care Act will continue until it's destroyed, taking insurance away from more than 20 million people, including more than 15 million people on Medicaid, and getting rid of the protections that President Obama worked so hard to get passed for people who have 100 million more people who have pre-existing conditions. And speaking of President Obama, a man I was honored to serve alongside for eight years as vice president. Let me take this moment to say something we don't say nearly enough. Thank you, Mr. President. You were a great president, a president our children could and did look up to. No one's going to say that about the current occupant of the White House. 
What we know about this president is if he's given four more years, he'll be what he's been for the last four years. The president takes no responsibility, refuses to lead, blames others, cozies up to dictators and fans the flames of hate and division. He'll wake up every day believing the job is all about him, never about you. Is that the American you want for you, your family, your children? I see a different America, one that's generous and strong, selfless and humble. It's an America we can rebuild together. As president, the first step I will take will be to get control of the virus that has ruined so many lives. Because I understand something this president hasn't from the beginning. We will never get our economy back on track. We will never get our kids safely back in schools. We'll never have our lives back until we deal with this virus. The tragedy of where we are today is it didn't have to be this bad. Just look around. It's not this bad in Canada or Europe or Japan or almost anywhere else in the world. And the president keeps telling us the virus is going to disappear. He keeps waiting for a miracle. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. We lead the world in confirmed cases. We lead the world in deaths. Our economy is in tatters with black, Latino, Asian American, Native American communities bearing the brunt of it. And after all this time, the president still does not have a plan. Well, I do. If I'm your president on day one, We'll implement the national strategy I've been laying out since March. We'll develop and deploy rapid tests with results available immediately. We'll make the medical supplies and protective equipment that our country needs. We'll make them here in America so we will never again be at the mercy of China or other foreign countries in order to protect our own people. We'll make sure our schools have the resources they need to be open safe and effective. We'll put politics aside. We'll take the muzzle off our experts so the public gets the information they need and deserve. Honest, unvarnished truth. They can handle it. We'll have a national mandate to wear masks, not as a burden, but as a patriotic duty to protect one another. In short, we'll do what we should have done from the very beginning. Our current president has failed in his most basic duty to the nation. He's failed to protect us. He's failed to protect America. And my fellow Americans, that is unforgivable. As president, I'll make you a promise. I'll protect America. I will defend us from every attack, seen and unseen, always, without exception, every time. Look. I understand. I understand how hard it is to have any hope right now. On this summer night, let me take a moment to speak to those of you who have lost the most. I have some idea how it feels to lose someone you love. I know that deep black hole that opens up in the middle of your chest and you feel like you're being sucked into it. I know how mean and cruel and unfair life can be sometimes. But I've learned two things. First, your loved one may have left this earth 
but they'll never leave your heart. They'll always be with you. You'll always hear them. And second, I found the best way through pain and loss and grief is to find purpose. As God's children, each of us have a purpose in our lives. We have a great purpose as a nation to open the doors of opportunity to all Americans, to save our democracy, to be a light to the world once again, and finally to live up to and make real the words written in the sacred documents that founded this nation, that all men and women are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, my dad was an honorable, decent man. He got knocked down a few times pretty hard, but he always got back up. He worked hard and he built a great middle-class life for our family. He used to say, Joey, I don't expect the government to solve my problems, but I sure in hell expect them to understand them. And then he'd say, Joey, a job is about a lot more than a paycheck. It's about your dignity. It's about respect. It's about your place in the community. It's about being able to look your kid in the eye and say, honey, it's going to be okay and mean it. I've never forgotten those lessons. That's why my economic plan is all about jobs, dignity, respect, and community. Together, we can and will rebuild our economy. And when we do, we'll not only build back, we'll build back better with modern roads, bridges, highways, broadband, ports and airports as a new foundation for economic growth with pipes that transport clean water to every community with 5 million new manufacturing and technology jobs. So the future is made in America with a healthcare system that lowers premiums, deductibles, drug prices by building on the Affordable Care Act. He's trying to rip away with an education system that trains our people for the best jobs of the 21st century. There's not a single thing American workers can't do. And where cost doesn't prevent young people from going to college and student debt doesn't crush them when they get out. With a child care and elder care system that makes it possible for parents to go to work and for the elderly to stay in their homes with dignity with an immigration system that powers our economy and reflects our values, and with newly empowered labor unions. They're the ones that built the middle class. With equal pay for women, with rising wages, you can raise a child on, a family on. And yes, we're going to do more than praise our essential workers. We're finally going to pay them, pay them. We can and we will deal with climate change. It's not only a crisis, it's an enormous opportunity. An opportunity for America to lead the world in clean energy and create millions of new good paying jobs in the process. And we can pay for these investments by ending loopholes, unnecessary loopholes, and the president's $1.3 trillion tax giveaway to the wealthiest 1% and the biggest, most profitable corporations, some of which do not pay any tax at all. Because we don't need a tax code that rewards wealth more than it rewards work. I'm not looking to punish anyone. 
Far from it. But it's long past time the wealthiest people and the biggest corporations in this country paid their fair share. And for our seniors, Social Security is a sacred obligation, a sacred promise made. They paid for. The current president is threatening to break that promise. He's proposing to eliminate a tax that pays for almost half the Social Security without any way of making up for that lost revenue, resulting in cuts. I will not let that happen. If I'm your president, we're going to protect Social Security and Medicare. You have my word. One of the most powerful voices we hear in the country today is from our young people. They're speaking to the inequity and injustice that has grown up in America. Economic injustice, racial injustice, environmental injustice. I hear their voices. If you listen, you can hear them too. And whether it's the existential, th existential threat posed by climate change, the daily fear of being gunned down in school, or the inability to get started in your first job, it will be the work of the next president to restore the promise of America to everyone. And I'm not going to have to do it alone because I'll have a great vice president at my side. Senator Kamala Harris, she's a powerful voice for this nation. Her story is the American story. She knows about all the obstacles thrown in the way of so many in our country. Women, black women, black Americans, South Asian Americans, immigrants, the left out and the left behind. But she's overcome every obstacle she's ever faced. No one's been tougher on the big banks and the gun, and the gun lobby. No one's been tougher in calling out the current administration for its extremism, its failure to follow the law, its failure to simply tell the truth. Kamala and I both draw from our families. That's where we get our strength. For Kamala, it's Doug and their families. For me, it's Jill and ours. I've said many times, no man deserves one great love in his life, let alone two. But I've known two. After losing my first wife in that car accident, Jill came into my life. She put our family back together. She's an educator, a mom, a military mom an unstoppable force. If she puts her mind to it, just get out of the way. <laughs> She's going to get it done. She was a great second lady. And I know she'll make a great first lady for this nation. She loves this country so much. And I'll always have the strength that can only come from family. Hunter, Ashley, all our grandchildren, my brothers, my sister. They give me courage. They lift me up while he's no longer with us. Bo inspires me every day. Bo served our nation in uniform. A year in Iraq, a decorated Iraqi war veteran. So I take very personally and I the profound responsibility of serving as commander in chief. I'll be a president who will stand with our allies and friends and make it clear to our adversaries the days of cozying up to dictators is over. Under President Biden, America will not turn a blind eye to Russian bounties on the heads of American soldiers. 
nor will I put up with foreign interference in our most sacred democratic exercise, voting. And I'll always stand for our values of human rights and dignity. I'll work in common purpose for a more secure, peaceful, and prosperous world. History, history has thrust one more urgent task on us. Will we be the generation that finally wipes out the stain of racism from our national character? I believe we're up to it. I believe we're ready. Just a week ago yesterday was the third anniversary of the events in Charlottesville. Close your eyes. Remember what you saw on television. Remember seeing those neo-Nazis and Klansmen and white supremacists coming out of fields with lighted torches, veins bulging, spewing the same, same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. Remember the violent clash that ensued between those spreading hate and those with the courage to stand against it. And remember what the president said when asked? He said there were, quote, very fine people on both sides. It was a wake-up call for us as a country, and for me, a call to action. At that moment, I knew I'd have to run. because My father taught us that silence was complicity. And I could never remain silent or complicit. At the time, I said we we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. And we are. You know, one of the most important conversations I've had this entire campaign, it was, some, it was with someone who was much too young to vote. I met with six-year-old Gianna Floyd the day before her daddy, George Floyd, was laid to rest. She's an incredibly brave little girl. And I'll never forget it. When I leaned down to speak to her, she looked in my eyes and she said, and I quote, Daddy changed the world. Daddy changed the world. Her words burrowed deep into my heart. Maybe George Floyd's murder was a breaking point. Maybe John Lewis is passing the inspiration. But however it's come to be, however it's happened, America's ready, in John's words, to lay down, quote, the heavy burden of hate at last and to end the hard work of rooting out our systemic racism. You know, American history tells us that it's been in our darkest moments that we've made our greatest progress, that we found the light. In this dark moment, I believe we're poised to make great progress again, that we can find the light once more. You know, many people have heard me say this, but I've always believed you can define America in one word, possibilities. The defining feature of America, everything is possible. That in America, everyone, and I mean everyone, should be given an opportunity to go as far as their dreams and God-given ability will take them. We can never lose that. In times as challenging as these, I believe there's only one way forward. As a united America, 
a united America, united in our pursuit of a more perfect union, united in our dreams of a better future for us and for our children, united in our determination to make the coming years bright. Are you ready? I believe we are. This is a great nation. We're a good and decent people. For Lord's sake, this is the United States of America. And there, there's never been anything we've been able to accomplish when we've done it together. The Irish poet Seamus Heaney once wrote, history says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then, once in a lifetime, the longed-for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme with passion and purpose. Let us begin, you and I together, one nation, under God, united in our love for America, united in our love for each other. For love is more powerful than hate. Hope is more powerful than fear. And light is more powerful than dark. This is our moment. This is our mission. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight as love and hope and light join in the battle for the soul of the nation. And this is a battle we will win and we'll do it together. I promise you. Thank you and may God bless you and may God protect our troops.
Good evening. I'm Rabbi Lauren Birkin. Please pray with me. God, you have been a refuge for us in every generation. 
as we conclude this convention from the safety of our homes, we pray for a national home where security, dignity, and prosperity abound for all its inhabitants. O Lord, our guardian who neither slumbers nor sleeps, awaken us to the tireless task of perfecting our home in this great land built on foundations of freedom, justice, and equality. Teach us to number our days that we may attain a heart of wisdom. Strengthen us each day in our sacred duty to promote leaders who will transform crisis into hope, challenge into opportunity, cruelty into compassion, and hate into love. So may it be your will, and let us say, Amen. Hi, I'm Father Jim Martin. Let us pray. Loving God, help us open our hearts to those most in need. The unemployed parent worried about feeding his or her children. The woman who is underpaid, harassed, or abused. The black man or woman who fears for their lives. The immigrant at the border longing for safety. The homeless person looking for a meal. The LGBT teen who is bullied the unborn child in the womb, the inmate on death row. Help us to be a nation where every life is sacred, all people are loved, and all are welcome. Amen. Peace be unto you all. Assalamu alaikum. I am Al-Hajj Talib Abdul Rashid, Imam of the Mosque of Islamic Brotherhood Incorporated, located in New York City. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of Allah, the merciful, the compassionate God. Ya ilahun nas, O God of mankind. Send us forth this night, we pray, inspired with the courage to transform ourselves and our society. Grant us the unwavering resolve to exercise our demons of generational racism and violence from the soul of America once and for all, that our children's children and their children might be spared the burden of our iniquities. Forgive us our sins of inhumanity to our neighbors, O Lord. Bless our young and our elders our teachers and the common working people, our crisis responders and our caretakers. Guide the leaders of this nation and bless them with reverence, moral courage, competence, integrity, empathy, love and compassion. Hear our prayer, most merciful God, Amen. Amen. Four days ago, we came together to begin a historic convention, a convention across America. Since then, we've traveled all across this country, hearing from real people who are ready for something different, something better. We said this convention was for everyone, and we really meant it. It would take all of us to solve the big challenges we are facing. But if we've seen anything these last four days, 
is that Americans are up to the task. So if you came here uncertain, I hope you're leaving resolved. And if you came here resolved, I hope you're leaving fired up and ready to elect Joe Biden as our president and Kamala Harris as our vice president and get out to vote for Democrats everywhere. There being no further business to come before this convention, I now declare the 48th Democratic National Convention to be adjourned. But I promise we, the people, are just getting started. Thank you, Milwaukee. Thank you, Wisconsin. And thank you, America. And good night.